All right, you guys can have a seat, what you're doing. Uh, welcome, this is your first time with Anchor Church. My name is Andrew Pack. I'm the preaching pastor for the church. We will be in Hebrews chapter 2. Pick up where we left off last week. Uh, I will go ahead and read. We're in uh, 12. If you don't have a Bible, by the way, we have some on the table over there. Feel free to get up and grab one of those. Uh, I will read for us and then we will pray. I will tell of your name to my brothers. In the midst of the congregation, I will sing your praise. And again, I will put my trust in Him. And again, behold, I and the children God has given me. This is the word of the Lord. Uh, King Jesus, we come to you uh, from our life. <laughs> we come to you uh, in the, from the minutia of our day-to-day, from the struggles of the day-to-day, from the joys of the day-to-day. And Jesus, I pray that we would know how faithful you are today. As the avalanche of life feels like it's crushing us, Jesus, that you are faithful to your promises, that you are faithful to your people, and that you are faithful to your plan to redeem all things to yourself. And that when it feels like our our grip is slipping in life, that we would be awake to the reality that even though our hands slip, yours do not. May we feel the power of your faithfulness to yourself, to your promises, to your plan, to your people today. And may we bask in the glory of this fundamental reality of who you are. Jesus, we need you. You're faithful. We praise you. Praise him for your glory and for our joy in your name, Jesus Christ. Amen. Today we're going to pause and breathe deeply and consider the faithfulness of King Jesus. Uh, we're here in Hebrews chapter 2, and we have this, uh, this little section that if you're in the ESV or probably the NIV, it's indented because these are quotes out of Hebrew poetry, uh, one from the Psalms and one from Isaiah 8, which will lead into Isaiah 9. And the thing about Hebrew poetry in the Old Testament, when you get to it, what you're supposed to do, because you get into these sections that are like narratives that bust down into poetry, and what you're supposed to do, it's your cue as the reader to stop, and to slow down, and to consider what God is saying. And I think these two verses that we're going to look at point to the faithfulness of Christ. And I think what we need to do together as the church is stop, and slow down, and consider what these texts have to tell us. And when we do that, I think the thing we're supposed to stop and consider today is the faithfulness of Jesus. And we're going to look at the faithfulness of Jesus in His redemptive promises... God doesn't lie. When God says it's going to be the way it is, it's going to be the way it is. Praise the Lord. Right? His word is good. Uh, His redeemed people, the church, we're in a section talking about the church. Last week we heard him say this amazing verse, therefore he is not ashamed to call them brothers because of his cross, because he's made us right with God, because he's welcomed us into the family. He is faithful to that people, you and I, who have been welcomed into that family. He's faithful. And uh, he's faithful to his redeemed program. And when I say program, I don't mean uh, like Awana or whatever. Like two people got that because it's Seattle. But I don't mean like program like the thing we do, uh, the, the dog show or whatever. I mean his plan from the foundations of the earth to put everything back the way it's supposed to be. And he is faithful in that outworking of those things. And even when it seems like it's not going the way it seems like it should go, something like God dying on a cross, when everybody looks and says, 
Was that it? I thought he was Messiah. He died on the cross. God says, no, that was the center of human history. That is where I redeem the world. That is where I wash my people clean. That is where I pay the price for sin. That is where I call the people to myself. That is what I've done to glorify myself. That is what I've done so that I can love you and welcome you into the family and you can have full access to me through my son, Jesus Christ. It looked to us like the darkest moment in human history, and it was, by the way. And at the same time, it is the brightest moment in human history because that is the moment and time in which you and I get to be in the family of God because of Jesus. He's faithful to his program. Okay, so here we are in Hebrews chapter 2. Where do we find ourselves? Uh, We're right into, and the the whole theme of Hebrews is he's talking to a people uh, who have met Jesus. Uh, They are are Jews, probably ethnically. They are the people of the promise. They are the people of the Old Testament. They're the Old Testament type people. Uh, They have been living in that. And and they met Jesus. And they're beginning to think, you know, maybe that old thing was better. Uh, This new thing's cool and all, but maybe that old thing, the law, maybe the old way of relating to God was better. And what he's doing is he's showing them these promises that were made to the people who were living under the law. Because under the law, oh man, you guys are in trouble. I forgot to start my timer. Good luck. Um, So under the law, uh, we often at this church make this distinction between the gospel and religion. Uh, And it's a great evangelistic tool, by the way, when you're getting your hair cut or you have an appointment, or your doctor asks you, what the heck is Christianity? So you go to church, because they got to ask that question, because see, how's your spiritual, maybe that's just my doctrine where I go, how's your spiritual health? Uh, do you know, are you, you do any yoga or anything? Oh, I'm a Christian, I love Jesus, and so uh, because of the cross, my spiritual health is actually pretty good. Thank you uh, for asking, sir. I have a great doctor, he's a good guy. Um, but anyways, it's a question they ask. Oh, Christianity, huh? Uh, this is Seattle, you know. Yeah, yeah, I know. So here's religion, here's gospel. Religion is, I do these things to get to God. The gospel is, Jesus has come down to get to me. And in the old arrangement, in the Old Testament, there was a clear arrangement. We go, I sin against God, I go, and I I make my sacrifice, and I do these religious observances, and it's very crunchy, and it's tangible, and I'm at the temple. But under this new covenant, all of a sudden, we're the temple. Jesus says, this is the temple. My Holy Spirit's going to dwell inside of you and that God is going to be present with us all the time and we're God's people all the time. And sometimes when you're not awake to the reality that the Holy Spirit is indwelling you as we speak and that you are part of God's story to redeem all things to yourself and the the avalanche that is your life is just kind of coming in on you and you forget, you can look back on the old thing and think, and that's what they're doing. They're looking back on the old thing thinking, well, you know, at least when I went to the temple, I knew my sins were, were dealt with. Because they're not believing the promises. Your sins are dealt with. It is finished. It is over. Period. And so what he's doing is he's taking these two verses from Psalm 22, which is this amazing messianic psalm, and Isaiah 9, Isaiah 8, which is the preamble to Isaiah 9, which is really where he's going, and that's where I'm going to ruin your Christmas card for you. So put that on the clock for about 20 minutes from now. I'm going to ruin your Christmas card. Um, Or make it a lot better, depending on what you do with it. Um, Though like two people that have read Isaiah 9 know what I'm talking about. Uh, That's good. Um, So anyways, he's taking these old promises that were made to the people and the old thing under the law of this better thing that was coming and that better thing that was coming was Jesus. They didn't know it was Jesus yet, but there was someone who was going to come. There was someone who was going to make it right. There was someone who was going to, to, to be able to make us the family of God and give us full access to God. And so he's reminding these people who are sitting there in the gospel and looking back on the old thing and thinking, that old thing was kind of cool. And he's saying, hey guys, remember what I promised to the guys under the old thing? That this better thing was coming? You're in the better thing now. Don't miss it. Now, here's what we have to do with this. 
Okay, so what do I have to do with them? I have never had an issue. I'm like, maybe it would be good to go to the temple and slaughter a goat. Like, that's not my personal problem. And, and we can look at it with sort of the distances of history and say, what do these guys even have to do with us? Here is the thing. They are us. They are us because we have two temptations, I think. One is blatantly the one that they have, and one is one that is like the one they have. The one they have that is like the one that they, that they have is that sometimes once you've been saved, you're here, you're in Christ, and life is good. And then sometimes you kind of do the thing where you look back on the old life, and for some reason you look at it with the wrong lens, and you don't understand how hard and dark and horrible it was. And you kind of say, well, you know, maybe things were better back there. They weren't. That's a lie. But we, we can be tempted into that. Right? Yeah, it was more fun back in the day. Was it? It wasn't. It was horrible. It was death, and you know it. Right? That's the one that's kind of like what they're doing. The thing that is just like what we do is that they look back on the law. They look back on the old arrangement. This is what I do to know that I'm right with God. So if I do these things, I know I'm right with God. I know that if I read my Bible for an hour every day, and I pray for 15 minutes, and I make sure to thank God for every meal that I eat, then I will do the things so that God will love me. That's religion. I thank God for the food on my plate because God gave me the food on my plate, and it's my response to his graciousness. I read my Bible because it's a response to the graciousness of the cross of Jesus Christ, not so that I can be right with God, but because I am right with God. I pray to God because Jesus Christ died on the cross to give me full and unfettered access to God, which means that you and I can just talk to the God of the universe, and we don't have to go anywhere to meet with him. Right? You don't have to go anywhere to have a meeting with him. That's why you talk to God. Right? But sometimes we can get caught up in religion. Sometimes we get lost in there. I'm not saying it's bad to come together to sing songs to Jesus. It's not bad to have appointments. This is a good appointment. I, this is my favorite, one of my favorite appointments of the week. I like this appointment. It's a good appointment. I like being here with you. But I'm here with you because I know Jesus is here with us, and we get to do this together as a family. I like family reunions, too. Well, on the one side of the family, you know, but the other one's kind of a mess. But anyways... <laughs> So let's go ahead and dig into these verses. And so again, we are stopping, we are pausing, and we're remembering when we pause and remember the faithfulness of Jesus, eyes forward on Jesus, not back to the law. So here we go. I will read it again, and then we'll kind of unpack it. Because he's done something. He's tricked us. These are really dense, teeny, tiny verses. But we're supposed to think about the whole chapter, or in the case of Isaiah 8 and 9, like a chapter and a half. We're supposed to think of a whole chapter and a half when we read this. And part of that is that we don't necessarily read the Old Testament all that much or see all the connections. And so you don't necessarily see Psalm 22, this quote at the end of Psalm 22, and think, oh, of course, it's Psalm 22. And hey, guess what? That's okay. Okay? I don't say that to say, you should read your Bible more. I'm telling you, hey, there's some really good stuff in here, and I would really love it if you read your Bible more, because I know that God will meet you with you there. Um, and it's okay if it doesn't, like, the images of Psalm 22 don't rush over you, but my hope is next time you read Hebrews, you think back to our time in Psalm 22, and maybe they do. And then you say, hey, and guess what? Here's the deal. Throughout the whole Bible, there's bazillions of those. So look for them. I promise, there are bazillions of those. I say bazillions because... Uh, infinite might not be the right word, but maybe they're there, they're, and they just keep going, and they keep going. So anyways, I'll read it, and then we'll dig into these two sections. Um, 
Oh, and I missed the saying when I read it. It's G- uh, I'll read, uh, let's get the whole sense. 11. For he who sanctifies and those who are sanctified all have one source. We looked at that the last week. That is why he, that is Jesus, is not ashamed to call them brothers, saying, I will tell of your name to my brothers. In the midst of the congregation, I will sing your praise. This is the end of Psalm 22, not the beginning. The beginning you might know. Father, Father, why have you forsaken me? Is the beginning of Psalm 22. And again, I will put my trust in him. And again, behold, I and the children, uh, God has given me. Those last two are Isaiah 8. Let's go to Psalm 22. And okay, so here's, here's the danger and here's my fear. So Sean gets to come up here and he gets to sing songs. Or, or any other musicians get to come up here. Or anybody's reading scripture. Uh, they get to read it. Uh, sometimes my job as a preacher is I have to exegete poetry. Now, one of two things can happen when you're exegeting poetry, when you're opening up the poetry to see what's in there. Because the poetry in the Bible is so layered and thick and deep and nuanced and theological. Have you ever made orange juice? Fresh orange juice? What happens when you make fresh orange juice? Well, one, you do a lot of work and you don't get a lot of juice. But the juice you do get is very, very good. And so when you have fresh orange juice, you have a little... I only, had a, I, I only have like the sound for the device. The ee, 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 ee. I don't know what you actually call the device, and I don't know that the sound is how you make that English phrase work. But, you know, the thing, the juicer guy thingamajigger, uh, whopper jaw number, right? What do you end up with? You end up with two things, really, really delicious orange juice and pulp and peel and mess, so when you're exegeting a song, when you're trying to get the meaning out of a song, you can end up with really, really good orange juice or a mess. I'm aiming for orange juice. Uh, so I'm going to read a lot of this actually kind of quick. I want it to wash over you. Read the whole thing today when you go home and just read it and think about Jesus, okay? Because um, I'm trying to make orange juice here, and it's hard, okay? So there it is. Let's make some orange juice. Uh, so here we are, Psalm 22. Whenever there is a quote from the Old Testament in the New Testament, the New Testament wants you to think of the Old Testament. It's not random. He's not randomly, oh, that sounds nice. I will tell of my brothers to the congregation. That's cool. I like that. That's a flowery way to say that. No, no, he wants us to read it. And so, so remember where we're at. So we're dealing with people who are living in the, the new covenant, the freedom of Christ. They're, they're no longer under the law. They're free in Christ, and they're looking back to the bondage of the law of doing things rather than having them be done by Christ. Because the old law, you could sum it up this way. The old covenant is, I will be your God, and you will be my people if you walk in my ways. The new covenant that Jesus brought is, I will be your God, and you will be my people, and I will cause you to walk in my ways. I've done everything it takes for you to walk in my ways. I'm going to send you the Holy Spirit so you can walk in my ways. I'm going to write the the law, the teaching, the Torah, the teaching of God on your heart so that you can walk in my ways. I'm going to give you everything and empower you in everything to walk in my ways. Okay? And so here we are. These people are getting the promise here in verse 1. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And likewise, you know what Jesus is doing when he says this? He's invoking Psalm 22. On the cross, he's coming back to this reality of Psalm 22, and there's some deep and beautiful stuff in here. So he's saying, hey guys, remember Jesus? You remember it was promised he was going to come? God was going to be forsaken on your behalf? Remember, guys, remember, remember, remember? My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me from the words of my groaning? Oh my God, I cry by day, but you do not answer. And by night, but I find no rest. 
But then what does it say? Yet you are holy. Jesus on the cross knew how holy and wonderful and beautiful His heavenly Father was. You are holy enthroned on the praises of Israel. And you our fathers trusted. They trusted and you delivered them. To you they cried and were rescued. And you they trusted and were not put to shame. Jesus is faithful to the plan on the cross. And he does not turn from God. He doesn't ask, why God? I mean, he does say, why God? But he also trusts in the darkness of the moment. God, you are faithful. This is coming to fruition. This is going to happen. We're going to do it. Skip with me down to 16. Four dogs encompass me. A company of evildoers encircles me. They have pierced my hands and my feet hundreds of years before crucifixions invented. What? Hundreds of years before crucifixions invented, they have pierced my hands and my feet. Not, the cross wasn't a surprise to Jesus. I can count on my bones. They stare and then gloat over me. They divide my garments among them. For my clothing they cast lots fulfilled uh, as Jesus is dying and they gamble for his gear. But you, O Lord, do not be far off. O you, my help, come quickly to my aid. Deliver my soul from the sword, my precious life from the power of the dog. Save me from the mouth of the lion. You have rescued me. You have rescued me. We're going to see he does something when he's making these promises in the Old Testament. Rescued past tense of a future event that's going to occur. We are all bad at English because no one teaches English well any longer. Would have been better if I made that a good sentence. Um, We don't teach English in school anymore, so we miss these things. But what did he say? You have rescued me. Before he gets on the cross, he's saying it's as good as done. You have rescued me. Period. Deliver my soul from the sword, my precious life from the power of the dog. Save me from the mouth of the lion. You have rescued me from the horns of the wild oxen. I will tell of your name. Here's our quote from Hebrews. Okay, so we're supposed to, all this is washing over us as we read this letter in Hebrews, or we're sitting in the sermon as he's reading it, or preaching it. I will tell of your name to my brothers in the midst of the congregation. I will praise you. You who fear the Lord, praise him. Praise him, all you offspring of Jacob. Glorify him and stand in awe of him, all you offspring of Israel. For he has not despised or uh, abhorred the afflicted, affliction of the afflicted, namely Jesus. And he has not hidden his face from him, but has heard when he cried to him. We have to pause here. Um, there is a teaching that on the cross, as Jesus is forsaken, Uh, that God the Spirit and God the Father turn their back on God the Son. Okay? Uh, You may or may not have heard that. But you may have heard that. Uh, And then people will quote, uh, He who knew no sin became sin so that we might become the righteous requirement of God. Yes, that is true. 
that is true. The wrath of God that the world deserves through the rebellion and idolatry and running from God is poured out on the Son so that anyone can turn to Jesus and all who call on the name of the Lord will not be forsaken. Okay? But in that forsakenness, Jesus is forsaken. He drinks the cup so you and I and any other person, every other person, it's sufficient for every person, takes what they deserve for picking a fight with God with their whole lives so that you and I can be sons and daughters of God Most High, so you and I can be forgiven. That's what he did. But in that moment, the Son, the Father and the Spirit do not turn their back on the Son. And why do I think that? The Bible tells me so. And he has not hidden his face from him, but has heard when he cried to him, when you feel forsaken, when you feel lost, I will tell you about the darkest thing that has ever happened to anyone ever, and that God was not turning his face, but he was there and he's faithful and he's true. Your darkness, the darkest of your darkness, is not this darkness. And that's not the, um, so eat your food uh, because they're starving kids in Africa speech. Right? This is not the, your darkness is nothing compared to his darkness. So buck up and cheer up and smile. No. That's not what we're supposed to see here. What we're supposed to understand here, in your darkest of darkest of darkest, darkest, darkest moments. He knows. He suffered. He's experienced darkness. He's experienced the feeling of searching the sky and wondering where his father is. Twenty-nine. We'll skip. Read the whole thing this afternoon. Do yourself a favor. All the purposes of the earth, or all the prosperous of the earth, eat and worship before him. Before him shall bow all who go down to the dust, even the one who could not keep himself alive. We're now talking about the future. There's a future thing coming, even from where the Hebrews are sitting, the people that the letters to, and even from where we're sitting. All of a sudden, we've clicked into a future thing. Because I can look at it and say, before him shall bow all who go down to the dust. That hasn't, you know, it's in process. We'll get there in a second when we get to Isaiah. There's a reason why these verses are together. Uh, Even the one who could not keep himself alive, posterity shall serve him and shall be told of the Lord to the coming generation. That's us. They shall come and proclaim his righteousness to a people yet unborn. You're born now, but you weren't born when this was written. So that's you. What do they proclaim? That he has done it. What has he done? Does that sound like anything else you know about that Jesus may have said maybe while he was on the cross? It is finished. Or another way to translate it, paid in full. You get life because of Christ. He did it all. He did everything for you to live in God. He did everything for you to live in Jesus forever. He's done it all. And there's nothing you can do to earn it. There's nothing you can do to deserve it. There's nothing you can do to make it happen. You have to receive this grace. Why? Because He is faithful. He's faithful to this promise. 
He's faithful to this redeemed promise. He came and he's working out this promise now, right? There are people, Lord willing, in Seattle this week who this time next year will be worshiping the Lord Jesus Christ who are not right now. Because he's faithful. And 10 years from now, there are people right now who are being hooligans or whatever, or whatnot, doing mischief or whatever they might be up to, that 10 years from now will be like, man, look at all the things that God redeemed me out of. Praise the Lord. There are people right now stuck in the midst of their own darkness who, as we'll see in a second, we'll see a great light. As we've seen a great light. If you're a Christian, if you're not a Christian, you need to know this is who Jesus is. He's done it all. You can't do anything to earn God's love. He's done it all. Turn to Him. Know Him. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. That's it. So, uh, let's go ahead and come back to Hebrews for just a second. And again, okay, that's a lot, right? He, he, just, he just did that in that one verse. He condensed it all down. And I think you could do that all day long. There's more there, right? This is the, I've got 10 minutes to talk to you about Psalm 22, right? There's a lot there. I bet you'll see more. If you, I know I keep saying it, but please, read it this afternoon. Read it tomorrow. Read it this week. There's more there. There's more there. Bazillions. So what does he say? And again, again, we're only in chapter 2, by the way. I don't know how we're ever going to get out of this book, but it's not my problem. (laughs) I will put my trust in him, and again, behold, I and the children God has given me. This is Isaiah 8, so if you would flip with me there. The thing you need to know about Isaiah 8, Isaiah 8 is a preamble for Isaiah 9. In fact, the Masoretes, who were the Bible nerds who put the numbering system in, Bible nerds, that's not, that doesn't sound really respectful for the Masoretes. The Masoretes, the guys, the guys who invented a numbering system so that I can do this to you and I can say, go with me to Isaiah 9. Uh, go with me to Luke chapter 24. Uh, go, with me, go back to Hebrews with me. And you know you can actually go there and you can actually follow it, right? The Masoretes wrote these things down. And when the Masoretes broke up Isaiah 8 and 9, the first verse in Isaiah 9, Isaiah 9.1 is... In the Masoretic, that's a fun word, in the Masoretes, in the Masoretic text, it's chapter 8, verse 23. What does that mean? You're supposed to read them together. So here we go. We're in Isaiah 9. We're in 16. The two verses we got out of Hebrews are 17 and 18. Bind up the testimony, seal the teaching among my disciples. I will wait for the Lord who is hiding his face from the house of Jacob and I will hope in him. Behold, I and the children whom the Lord has given me uh, are signs and potents in Israel from the Lord of hosts who dwells on Mount Zion. Okay. We are talking about uh, Israelite history. Whenever you get into the prophets, things are going south because God only sends prophets pretty much when things are going south. That's what their job is to do, is to come and say, hey guys, things are going south. This is who God is. This is who you are. You're listening to pretend gods. Listen to the real God. And then everyone saws them in two and does a bunch of other horrible stuff to them. That's pretty much the prophets. That's the, the uh, condensing of like a third of the Bible into 
a soundbite. Okay, so what's happening? This is about what's called a remnant people. Throughout the Bible, even when things are going very south, God always preserves at least a few. And in Isaiah's case, poor guy, it's pretty much just Isaiah. Uh, But in places like Elijah, when Elijah's like, God, you've left me alone and it's just me. He's like, hey dude, I saved 7,000 people who have not kneeled to Baal to go have some battle and stuff. Don't worry, I got it. I've saved a people. That's right, that's the remix, but it's there. It's in Kings. It's good stuff. Okay? So he's talking about, even though things are going really, really, really south, and everybody's about to go into exile and lose the land that God promised them, and everything is not going well in the land, so to speak, he still talks about this remnant people. Because God's made a promise. He's made promises. He's faithful to the people. And then he's faithful to his plan. Okay? And so when we read these texts, it means that most of everybody's worshiping pretend gods. But there's still at least a guy. Isaiah is the guy who gets the, whom shall I send? You know that one? Everyone sings, and they're like, whom shall I send? Who shall go for me? And we're like, yes, whom shall I? And then you read Isaiah, and he says, I'll go. And he says, you're going to go. No one's going to listen to you, and it's going to go south. Whom shall I send? Who will go for me? We want the parade. We don't always want. Send me to the hardest place you've got. Send me to tell them the truth. And what happens is in your hands, Jesus, because that's what happened to Isaiah. Whom shall I send? Who shall go for me? We hang on thick and thin, regardless of how long it takes to even get a conversation with your neighbor. We keep going. It's not about you getting a parade. It's about him getting glory. And he gets glory when we're faithful. And we're faithful because he's faithful. Okay? So, anyways. Behold, there's our verse. Behold, I and the children whom the Lord has given me are signs and potents in Israel from the Lord of hosts who dwells on Mount Zion. And when they say to you, inquire to the mediums and the necromancers who chirp and mutter, the people who are talking to demons and getting information from them. Uh, sometimes, I think if you were preaching this in like the eight, you know, 1850s in Iowa, maybe this wasn't a big deal. We live in Seattle. We're like, oh yeah, don't listen to those guys. Um, Should not a people inquire of their God? And it's not always the necromancers and the mediums, right? We look for a lot of other things, a lot of other places. Um, You get these big, giant history books in the Old Testament. Kings, Samuel, Chronicles. First and second Kings and first and second Samuel, they go together. And first and second Chronicles tell the story from Adam all the way to about Nehemiah, and then you get Nehemiah and Ezra, and when you get those together, you get this big whoop, history thing. Now, what's interesting about these books is they, they give a different perspective or commentary on the things that happen. And one of the things that happens is that we get this guy, Saul. Now, Saul was the guy who, when they said, God, we want a real king, and God said, but I am your king. And they said, no, no, a real king. Fine, have Saul. So they get Saul, and Saul is... I don't have any polite words for Saul. When you're reading, you're like, don't do it, Saul. Don't do it. No, Saul. No, no. But one of the things that Saul does that's like that is uh, they're about ready to get into a battle. They know they need to wait for a prophet, Samuel, to come and do the sacrifice to God and honor God before they go into it because we need God to lead us in all the things that we do. And uh, Samuel's late. Oh, he's late? 
It happens too. It happens in Daniel. There's an angel who's coming and he stops and he says, hey, I'm sorry, I'm late. I had to fight with the prince of Persia, but here I am. You can read Daniel. It's awesome too. Um, anyways, Samuel's late, but what does Saul do? You know what Saul does? He says, oh, well, we got to do the sacrifice. And so he goes ahead and he does the sacrifice on his own. But the thing is that kings aren't allowed to do the sacrifice. It's not his job to do the sacrifice. His job is to wait on God and trust him for Samuel to come and do the thing that Samuel's supposed to do. Now, why the heck did I say all that? Because what it says in Chronicles. What does it say in Chronicles? So this is the thing that is the, the, the straw that breaks the camel's back for Saul. It's why Saul doesn't get to be king anymore. It's why the Holy Spirit departs from Saul. It's really scary Bible stuff to read. It's scary, scary stuff to read if you read it. So read Psalm 22 this afternoon. Stay out of... No, don't. Samuel's great. But you know what it says in Chronicles that his problem is? He didn't listen to God. He didn't trust the faithfulness. It says he didn't listen to God. I take that to mean he didn't trust the faithfulness of God. He did not trust God in his plan. He did not trust God with his people. And he began to see the sacrifice as some kind of like, uh, uh, like good luck charm. It was a thing he was going to do so they were going to win. You don't win because of the sacrifice. You win because of God. Right? You win because of God. And if you look at Chronicles, this reoccurring theme is, listen to God, listen to God, listen to God, trust God. And why can we do that? Because we need to stop, breathe deep. Jesus is faithful. He's worth listening to. And you're like, oh, that's what he's doing. Yeah, I had a point. We were coming back to it. Should they inquire of the dead on behalf of the living? Should you talk to dead people or to God? God. To the teaching and the testimony, if they will not speak according to this word, it is because they have no dawn. They will pass through the land greatly distressed and hungry. And he begins to talk about all the things that are going to happen in this time of the exiles. God's people are being unfaithful to him. But then we skip down, uh, because I don't have time to unpack all of it, we skip down to 9 verse 1. That despite the fact that they have been faithless to God and unfaithful to God, and and despite the fact that they have turned to other things than God, this is what God promises. Because why? Jesus is faithful. Jesus is faithful. Verse 1. But there will be no gloom for her who is in anguish. In the former time, he brought into contempt the land of Zerubbabel and the land of Nephtali. But in the latter time, he has made glorious the way of the sea, the land beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the nations. The Goyim. The people outside Israel. In the old way, it was just about the people inside Israel. In the new way, in the new covenant, it's about the nations. And guess what, Anchor Church? Unless you have a Jewish background, this is talking about you. Because of Jesus and because of His cross, you get to be in with God. It was His program. It was His plan. You get to be in with God because of Jesus. And this is something that they would would have melted their faces We don't like them. Jonah is all about Jonah. Go tell the Ninevites. No, I don't like them. And I know what you're like, God. If I go and tell them they're in sin, they're going to repent. And I don't want them to repent because I don't like them. 
You think I'm joking. Read Jonah. I'm giving you a book list today. You've got some homework to do, Anchor Church. Your paper's due Friday, 9 a.m. I'm kidding. The people, listen to this, listen. The people who walked, hey, here's that, that past tense, right? Listen to the past tense. This is predictive of a future event, a coming event, right? This is this, but listen, he's using past tense language here. So listen. The people who walked in darkness have seen, past tense, a great light. Remember, Isaiah is like the, basically the one like faithful guy right now. He just wants God to help out Israel. And God's like, I'm not only going to help them out, I'm going to help all them out too. We're in 9 verse 2. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in the land of deep, deep darkness, on them the light has shined. Why is it past tense? It is as good as done. Why is it as good as done? Because Jesus is faithful. You have multiplied the nation. You have increased its joy and rejoice before you as with joy at the harvest and they are glad when they divide the spoil. Does anyone come from a farm? Anybody? Nobody, right? Welcome to Anchor Church. It turns out when you've worked really, really hard and you pull in the apples, if you're from eastern Washington or the wheat or the barley or whatever it might be, it's time to party, Right? He's saying, Jesus is going to come. He's going to shine light on those in darkness. And when Jesus does that, it's going to be what? It's time to party. For the yoke of his burden and the staff for his shoulder, the rod of his oppressor, you have broken as on the day of Midian. There's a word in here that's a special word. That burden he's talking about. That means bearing a burden for somebody else. It means putting on your shoulders something somebody else is supposed to carry. Does that sound like anybody we know? It's funny because that exact word is used in another place. It's called Isaiah 53 where it says, Surely he has borne our griefs and carried, that's the word, our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace, and with his stripes we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. When we're faithless, we have turned everyone to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth like a lamb that is led to the slaughter and the sheep before his shears is silence. He opened not his mouth. By oppression and judgment he was taken away. And as for this generation who considered that he was cut off from the land of the living, living stricken, from the transgression, stricken for the transgressions of my people, and they made his grave with the wicked and with a rich man in his death, that's fulfilled in Christ, although he had done no violence because he's the only innocent man who ever lived, And in him there was no deceit. Yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him. He has put him to grief. When his soul makes an offering for guilt, he shall see his offspring. He shall prolong his days. The will of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. Out of the anguish of his soul, he shall see and be satisfied. By his knowledge shall the righteous one, my servant, make many to be accounted righteous, and he shall bear their iniquities. You're righteous if you're in Christ. And that was promised. 
That's the thing you need to know now. And that's what he's trying to get in their heads. The guys he's writing this letter to. Why do you want to go back to the old thing? The new thing was promised in the old thing and the guys in the old thing were looking forward to the new thing. They were reading this saying, when's this coming, God? When's this coming? And now that it's here, you want to go back to the old thing? No! Why would you want to go back to the old thing? Back to Isaiah 9. For the yoke of his burden and the staff of his shoulder and the rod of his oppressor you have broken as in the day of Midian. You are free, anchor church. You are free. No, you're free. Now here's where I ruin your Christmas card. Verse 5. Uh, so I'll have to read it. I have to read 5 and 6 together to properly ruin. Because you know what I mean, right? You're going to go in a few weeks. You're going to go to Costco and you're going to load that great picture up with your family. And you're going to look at it and you're going to have Santa Claus and Christmas trees. And you're like, well, there's two, there's two Christian ones. To us a son is born, to us a child is given, and one uh, from the New Testament. And that one sounds cool, so I'll go with that one. And so this will either make you pick this one, or you're going to pick the other one. So I'll read it together. For every boot of the trampling warrior in battle tumult and every garment rolled in blood will be burned as fuel for the fire. For to us a son is born, and to us a child is given. What's that kid going to do? He's going to come back and he's going to clear his name is what he's going to do. He's going to take all the effects of war and bloodshed and injustice and he's going to trample them under his foot. The King of kings and the Lord of lords on a white horse is going to come and he's going to bring priests to the earth. He's going to do it. He's not going to let a single thing go undone. He is a just, loving God and either he's paid the price for our sins or we're going to have to and he will settle the score and the offering is to come, come to him now to live we're choosing death. Come to him and live. But you rarely see that first verse on the Christmas card or any of the things I just unpacked. For every boot of the trampling warrior in battle tumult and every garment rolled in blood. And that word blood, bloodshed. Uh, bloodshed, it means like um, not just blood. It means like um, unjust, like, like murder and injustice. That's what it means. Because God's a just God who will not let that stuff stand. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it upon uh, to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from the, this time forth and forevermore, the zeal of the Lord will do this. Two mag- mega themes in the Old Testament of the coming kingdom. That God will be the king again, like he was before Saul when they said, we want a real king. He's going to be the realest king. It's going to be awesome. And the coming of this guy, the Messiah, the Christ in Greek, Christ... And he's going to rule in the seat of David forever and there's going to be peace and there's going to be shalom which is not simply the absence of war but the wholeness. Wholeness. There is, different, there is a difference between when you ride to church in the car with your kids and everyone is quiet and everyone is angry at each other but there's, this is why I make my quotation marks, peace because it's quiet and people come in wholeness. You're in the car with, and it's just one of those mornings. 
There's this wholeness with you and your kids and your wife, and there's the Spirit's present, and you just feel it. He's present in the other stuff because he's working in it, right? He's working in that other stuff. I promise you, if you're a Christian, he is working in that other stuff. He's faithful. But there's these moments of shalom, these moments of peace. There's these moments of wholeness, and it's going to be that forever. And here in this verse, we see that rule of that of God and the rule of that Messiah come together in a person. What's his name? Jesus. They come together in Christ. So, if we read this part in Hebrews really quick and we don't let this stuff wash over us, it's still good. It's still scripture and it's still awesome. I will tell of your name to my brothers. In the midst of the congregation, I will sing your praise. And again, I will put my trust in him. And again, behold, I and the children God has given me. Jesus is faithful. The Father's faithful to the Son, and the Son is faithful to his people. Okay? Remember how faithful God is. Remember how faithful Jesus is. He's faithful to his promises. I will never leave you or forsake you. Your sin is far as the east is from the west. I am the vine, you are the branches. It's for freedom that Christ has set you free. There's one coming who's going to baptize you in the Holy Spirit. That's life. Those are promises for you and for me. To who? A redeemed people. God is putting the world together back the way it's supposed to be and his people will be there with him forever. From every tribe and every tongue and Jesus is going to rule over us, his people, and he's faithful to his people. Even in those moments when you're just looking around, you're like, is this it? Elijah's like, is this it? You know? Jesus is ditched, is this it? He's faithful to his people. And he's faithful to his plan. He made these promises that he was going to put the world back the way it's supposed to be before Jesus even gets here. Right? And so he wants the Hebrews to wake up. God's at work in the world. He's faithful and he's true. Now, why is this so important? One, these are things to bask in, in the glow of. To us, a child is born. To us, a son is given. And in the avalanche of your life, when your grip is slipping, who's faithful? Even when you feel faithless? Jesus. Who, when it's the darkest, has been in the darkest? Jesus. Who is faithful to accomplish the good things He began in you? Jesus. And so when you look at the big program, the big plan, the big promises, the big people, you need to understand tomorrow at lunch when it feels like you're ditched by everyone and everything, you're not and Jesus is faithful. When everything seems like it's heading south, Jesus is faithful. When it's darkest before the dawn, which by the way is a time when God loves to 
do stuff? Why does he love to do things when it's darkest? Even why we say it's darkest before the dawn. Because he has a way of doing things in such a way that when it happens, there's no mistake in your life. God showed up in a tangible, material way and Jesus worked miracles. And by the way, friends, he is faithful to his promises even when we're not in that moment. Sometimes we just need to wake up to the miracles he's doing every day because he's faithful every day. He's not just faithful uh, at the buzzer. He's faithful when you wake up. He's faithful when you go to bed. And guess what? He's faithful when you're asleep. If you don't know Jesus, this is our Jesus. This is our God. This is who we know. This is who we love. He's come. He's lived. He's died to give us full access to God and to give us life and joy and wholeness and peace. There's nothing you can do to earn his love. Turn from your sin and turn to him. Turn from the things that you're getting advice from and turn to him. Turn from whatever else is in your life and clouding your life and turn to him. And if you're a Christian, I'm just telling you, even when it feels like you've let go or you're slipping or you've slipped, he hasn't let go of you. He loves you more than you know. He's more faithful than you are to him or to yourself. And from there, we have the power to be faithful to him and others. Uh, King Jesus, this is your day. This is your gospel. This is your word. We are your people, and we are so thankful that we are your people. Lord, you have not promised that the rains will not come, that the floods will not come. You have not promised that because we love you, life will be uh, puppy dogs and sunshine. But what you have promised is that when our house is built on the rock, the house is going to stand. You have promised uh, that, that, that nothing can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. Not height, nor depth, nor power, nor principality. Nothing can separate us from your love because of your cross and your resurrection. Nothing can take our life in you from us because you've given it to us and you're faithful. Lord, thank you. May we just breathe deeply joy today. May we not dwell even in our own, own unfaithfulness, but dwell in your faithfulness, in the hardness, and in the darkness. And may we turn to you in great faith, not mustered up from inside of ourselves, but saying, this is our God and this is what he's capable of. We love you, Jesus, and praise him for your glory and for our joy in your name, Jesus Christ. Amen.